0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I'd like to pray for us before we begin. Father, we thank you for just an incredible time of worship to be reminded of your faithfulness and your strength Lord and that we are able to persevere the struggles of life not because of our own strength but because of yours you're our foundation and so we're not going to be shaken Father because of you Lord I pray that as we open the truth of your word this morning you would speak clearly to us Father I pray that we would hear your voice understand your truth, be challenged to live differently, and then, Father, through the power of the Spirit, be transformed, Lord, may we be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter four. is you're flipping to Luke, we're going to delve in, in just a second. I just I, I couldn't miss the opportunity to read a couple of the response cards. And we asked you last week to fill out. And if you want to do this still, I'd love to hear from you. But I asked people just to give me an account of what the Lord's doing in their marriage through our sermon series on the Song of Songs. We got a, a good bit of them, but I picked three this morning. No names. I don't I don't know the names. You don't need to know the names, but I just wanted to read a couple to you because I thought they were very powerful. The first one says. When the series started, I truly believed that God would speak to my spouse. Unfortunately, he had other ideas. He spoke to me and really touched my heart. I rededicated my life to the Lord so I could truly understand what marriage is about. Learning that there, are, there is power in words how to treat your spouse like you want to be treated, I've come to understand that through Christ's timing, he will restore the passion my spouse once had for me. He will be glorified through all the hurt, valleys, and non-forgiveness. God will prevail. I'm thankful another one says that God has placed Rosemont in our path at the exact moment in our lives to pour truth into our marriage in the darkest moments of our marriage. On the brink of divorce, God placed godly men and women and Rosemont to pour into our lives and remind us that God can perform a miracle in a marriage, and he did. God is restoring our marriage. We have committed to keeping our promise to one another no matter what, no matter what and God has moved in our marriage because we let him. Praise God Almighty. And then the last one, the Lord has shown me that he comes first. My husband second, then my children. I've placed my children first for too many years. Thank you for being bold enough to speak the truth. I needed to fall in love with my husband again. Beautiful. (laughs) I praise the Lord for what he's doing in the hearts of our people. It's exciting for me to be able to hear those stories, but I know there are countless more, and I just pray the Lord continues to work. So now Luke chapter 4 we are this morning thinking about difficulties. Now it's a new school year and with a new school year comes excitement and fun things, and new experiences, and new classes, and new teachers, and new friends, and and probably all of us on some level, whether we're in the school system, we have a child that's in the school system, or in school, or we have friends, we all are kind of wrapped up in that idea at this point in the year. But a new school year can also mean challenges and struggles. Now I don't want, I don't want you to raise your hand, but you can kind of raise your hand on the inside. How many of you have had struggles this week and know for a fact that at some point in the very near future you're going to have some sort of struggle or some sort of trial in life. All of us, right? That's the world we live in. If you're in school, students, maybe you're concerned about that teacher you're going to get. Right? Can, we, can we be honest and say that sometimes we're concerned about the teacher we may get? You guys remember when you got that schedule printed out and you saw that teacher and you just knew this was going to be a really difficult year? Maybe we're concerned about that. Maybe you know your schedule now and you know that there's some students in some classes that maybe you're going to struggle with. Teachers, maybe you're unsure about a new administrator or somebody on your team or a parent of a kid. Students, maybe you're concerned because there are things you're going to be tempted with this year that you know people are going to ask you to do that you're not comfortable doing and you're already concerned about that battle you're going to face. We can kind of fill in the blank, right? We all face struggles. We all face trials, we all face temptations, whether that's at school, whether that's at work, whether that's at home. The question is not whether we're going to face struggles. The real question is, how do we deal with those struggles when they come? Now, I think as we should always do, whenever we ask the more difficult questions of life, we should always try to answer them based on the truth of God's word. And so if there is an example of a person that faced struggles and trials all through his life, it's Jesus. And so as we kind of think through this idea, this warning of, of preparing and, and being aware of struggles and trials and temptations, I want to examine what Jesus did and how Jesus lived to try to help us understand how we ought to live our lives. So we're going to do that in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I think we have the scripture on the screen for you as well. Let me give you just a tiny bit of background. Most of you will probably already know this. But just to put this in perspective, at this point, Jesus is about 30 years old. Now, now, you probably already know this, but Jesus lived 30 years before he began his ministry. Very little is written about Christ. He was tw- we know about his birth. He was 12 in the temple. We know that story. And then really, no, there's a lot of silence And then he's about 30 years old. He goes and he's baptized. And then after he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. That's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus, now full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. That's where he was baptized, the Jordan River. So he returned from the Jordan River. And he was led by the Spirit in the desert. Verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil... He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread." And so verse 4, Jesus answered, it's written, man does not live on bread alone. Now let's stop there for a minute. We're going to draw a conclusion and we're going to kind of think through this together for a little while this morning. Now there's a, there's a foundational idea that I want you to get. It's going to be found in all the major truths that we're going to pull from these verses. And it's kind of a simple idea, but it's one that we forget far too often. It's this, if you think that you can conquer your struggles and your trials that you face in life on your own power you're mistaken did you know that far too many people get caught up in this idea that they're strong enough to conquer this or they're strong enough to do that or they can kind of on their own strength will themselves out of this temptation or will themselves out of this struggle and I would say to you that's kind of your first mistake Because we're really not strong enough in our own power to do these things. Instead, what we see all through Scripture, we're going to see it again this morning, is that if we're really going to make it through life in the midst of the trials and the struggles and the temptations and the difficulties that we're faced, we're only going to do it if Christ is our foundation. So we kind of begin with that idea. So truth number one, we have it on the screens. Our reliance on God must transcend our physical struggles. If we're going to rely on the Lord, if we're going to trust Him, we've got to transcend our physical struggles. And let's think through this together just for a few minutes. Look at how verse 1 begins there in chapter 4. This is interesting to me. Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was what? Led by the Spirit. Into the desert. Now I want you to know something. This is important about this account. Jesus walking into the desert wasn't by accident. You understand that? He didn't just wander off and get lost and look around all of a sudden and didn't know where he was. It wasn't as if God the Father looked down at heaven and was going, No, 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 not that, that, no, no, not that way, Jesus. You don't know, no, no. We went to Six Flags a couple of weeks ago. You know, you ride in the, the they call it the monster mansion now. You know the monster mansion? Nobody knows the might. you are like, huh? Cup two or three, I'll be great. Thank you. You two will get this then. You're going through and at the very end, there's this, the sheriff and he's going, no, stay out of the marsh. You remember that? And we just go into the marsh anyway, right? And he's trying to wave us off. It's not like that with the Lord and Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, no, stay out of the desert. Jesus, I mean, the Lord is saying to, to God the Father is saying to Christ, listen, you need to be led by the Spirit into the desert there's a real clear reason and a real clear purpose that you're kind of walking through this very difficult time because Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows the struggle that he's going to face. He knows the temptation that's going to kind of befall him, and he walks into it anyway. Now, this is just this is fascinating for me because it's just the opposite of what we do. Right? When, when you're about to walk into a trial of life, if you're like me, the first thing you do is you pray God would remove it. Lord, I don't want to go through this. Get me out of this. It's too hard. I don't want to deal with this. Don't let me walk into this difficult situation. But Jesus, recognizing the difficulty he's about to face, allows the Spirit to lead him into this very difficult place. It reminds me of of his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll remember the account, Jesus had had been arrested, he was taken in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his his disciples to pray, and he goes in a little bit farther, and then that famous prayer where he basically says to the Lord, Lord, listen, I don't want to have to go through this, and the phrase he uses is, take this cup from me, you remember that account? Yet he ends that prayer by saying, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Right, I understand there's going to be physical struggles, Christ says, I understand there's going to be difficult times. I understand there are things that I'm going to have to deal with and and work through. But if I'm going to get through those things, I've got to kind of transcend that struggle, that physical struggle. And I've got to rely on Christ more and more. Paul hits on this idea in Romans chapter 5. You'll be familiar with this passage. He says in verse 3 that we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character. Character, hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. See, see, Jesus understands, and I think we need to understand sometimes in our lives, that the struggles we go through are deepening our faith and deepening our reliance on the Lord. Now, Some of y'all need to hear that today, don't you? Some of you need to be reminded That even in difficult moments, Christ is still there. That in difficult moments, Christ still wants to use you. That he's still got a plan for you. And we've got to kind of get up above the the physical and the suffering. And we've got to kind of be able to see with spiritual eyes that the Lord's doing something through us. Now notice in verse 2. Pull that book up for me, please, if you would want to. Look at what happens in verse 2. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's there for 40 days, and the Bible tells us for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of those days he was hungry. Now verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now this is interesting to me, and, and this is not really the point of the sermon, but it's something you can kind of think about if you're, if you're taking notes. The enemy is always going to attack you in your weakest points. Did you know that? Like Jesus is starving. He hasn't eaten. We don't know at what point in the 40 days the devil arrives, but it's in the middle of this 40-day fast. Jesus is hungry. He wants something to eat. Physically, if you've ever fasted or gone without food for a couple days, you know that it really affects your body very quickly. Jesus is hungry. He hadn't eaten. And in the midst of his weakness, in the midst of his great hunger, the enemy tempts him with something he really wants. That's what he does to you too. See, the enemy is going to take your weakest point, the chink in your armor, and he's going to attack you there. But I want you to notice Jesus' response. Look in verse 4. Jesus answered, man does not live on bread alone. What an interesting response. Now, wh- where does that come from? Well, it's, it's a quote that Jesus is kind of taking from the Old Testament. I was talking to somebody this week about the Old and the New Testament, and you you. You, you may already understand this, but just to be clear, let me just remind you of this. Anytime Jesus kind of quotes the Bible, he's always quoting the Old Testament. Did you know that? He's always quoting the Old Testament because when Jesus was alive, the New Testament had not yet been written. So he couldn't quote John 3.16 or, or Romans chapter 8 or Ephesians 6. Because those things had not yet been written. So when he says it's written, he's speaking of the Old Testament. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's when the people of Israel had wandered out of uh, Egypt, been taken out of Egypt, and wandered in the wilderness, and they had struggled with food, right? They didn't have food to eat, and they say in Deuteronomy 8.3, speaking to the people of Israel, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. Remember, the Lord provided manna for the people of Israel to eat, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, here's what you need to understand in your struggle. You're not really struggling against physical things. You think you are. You think your struggle is against that teacher, or against that student, or against that temptation, or against that coworker, or against that boss. or you, you think that's your struggle because you're looking at it from earthly eyes, from a physical standpoint. What the Lord's saying to us, and what we see all through Scripture, is that there's more to the story. Paul explains this in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Here it is. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You just think it is. I just think it is. I just think it is. It's not really against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're not battling flesh and blood. We're not battling the physical things and if we're going to continue to rely on Christ and if we're going to make it through the difficult times, we've got to kind of transcend above that physical and understand it's not really a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. And you don't fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. You fight spiritual battles with prayer and with fasting and with studying God's Words. And so Christ says to the devil, even as he's tempting him with bread, when he's extremely hungry, man doesn't live on bread alone, right? It's more than just the physical. Now look at verse 5. So the devil, right, he's going to try again. The first one didn't work. Christ was smarter than he was. So the second temptation begins in verse 5. So the devil led him up to a high place showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you, this is the devil speaking to Christ, I will give you all of their authority and splendor, for it's been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want, verse 7. So if you worship me, the devil says to Christ, if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here's truth number two. Our reliance on God must transcend our material desires. Our reliance on God must transcend our material desires. We live in this world in a culture that says to you, the more stuff you have, the happier you will be. If we really want to rely on the Lord, we've got to kind of transcend and go above this idea of material desires and material wants in our life. Now Christ is an interesting example because the people that were looking for Jesus throughout the Old Testament oftentimes believed they were going to find a political or military ruler. So the Old Testament people that looked ahead to Messiah oftentimes misunderstood that Jesus was going to be a political leader, a military ruler. So if you kind of study through the life of Christ and you read how his disciples interacted with him, oftentimes they ask him the question about reestablishing the kingdom. They kind of hoped he would come as this military ruler, as this political ruler, and he would kind of take out the Romans and put the Jewish people back in their rightful position. But Jesus didn't come as a political leader. Jesus didn't come as a military leader. Jesus didn't come as a worldly ruler. Jesus came instead as the suffering servant. To give his life as a ransom for many. But it's interesting what the devil does here because he offers him kind of a couple things. Look at verse six again, if you would please. Pull that up for me. He's gonna offer Jesus two different things here. He's gonna offer him authority and splendor, right? I'm gonna give you the authority, which means the power to rule, I'm going to give you the splendor, which means the magnificence, the grandeur, all the beautiful features and the quality. I'm going to give you all of these things. The temptation for Jesus is kind of material, the power and the authority of the world. Now, if we wanted to be real honest with ourselves, this is the place a lot of us struggle, isn't it? Because we kind of find ourselves in this world surrounded by this idea that material brings joy and brings happiness. And yet what we see with Christ is he's not interested in those things. He's not interested in the authority that the devil can give him. He's not interested in the splendor of the world. He's interested instead in serving the Father in heaven and doing his will. You know, I I enjoy history and I read history and I know a lot of you enjoy history as well. But if you spend any amount of time reading world history especially you'll realize that history is filled with people that aspired to rule the world. Did you know that? There's literally, literally a long list through history of the people that really, and, and I'm, not, I'm not overemphasizing or trying to be dramatic here, they really thought they could rule the world. Alexander the Great is a fantastic example. All of Greece and, and, and Asia, all the way to the Indus River in India, a large port of, of Asia, he believed he could rule the world. Genghis Khan, some of you know of Genghis Khan. Adolf Hitler, modern example. All through history, we could go around the room and, and name probably hundreds of people through history that believed they could rule the world and actually tried to do it. Do you know what they all have in common? They died trying, they all failed. Nobody can do it. Right? No, nobody can actually conquer and control and get enough stuff to actually make them happy. And yet this is exactly what Satan is offering to Christ. Jesus, if if you'll just bow down to me, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you all this stuff. I'll give you all this grandeur. I'll give you all this authority. I'll give you everything you could possibly want. If you'll just worship me, and look at the response of Jesus in verse 8. It's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I would just encourage you, if, if you're caught up, bring point number two back up. If you're kind of caught up in the, in the worldly things, if you're caught up in the material desires, you need to understand that your reliance on God, if you're really going to follow him and get through difficult times, it's got to transcend that material desire. If you're struggling with that, if you're, if you're struggling with kind of balancing between the things of the world and the things of Christ, I would just encourage you. As much as you possibly can to, to set aside the things of the world in favor of the things of Christ. Trust Jesus. Find your hope and your fulfillment in Christ alone, not in the things of the world. Now, look at verse 9 as we continue through this. So, the first time failed. The devil offered him the physical nourishment of bread. Jesus said, We don't live on bread alone. The second time fails, Satan offers him all this material stuff, all the possessions and the authority and the power of the world. Jesus says, worship the Lord God and serve him only. Now the third attempt that the devil's going to make begins in verse 9. So the devil led him to Jerusalem. Had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you, not, you will not strike your foot against a stone. Right. So the devil's saying, listen, just jump off the top of this temple. The angels are going to catch you. And you'll then kind of show me that you really are God. Jesus answered... It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, just just leave that verse up just for a second. This is a side note. You can make note of this. I'm not going to get into it. But this idea of the devil finishing, tempting Christ, he leaves him alone, but not forever, just until an opportune time. You see that? The enemy's always after you, always looking to attack Always looking for an opportunity. Now here's truth number three. Our reliance on God must transcend our uncertainty and our fear. Now this is going to hit some of you square between the eyes. Because here's what Satan is saying to Jesus. If you really are who you say you are, jump off of this temple and prove to me by allowing the angels to catch you that you really are Jesus. Now, we probably wouldn't say it quite like that. We wouldn't phrase it like that to Jesus. But far too many of us don't put our trust in Christ because we're ultimately not convinced that he really is who he says he is. I mean, if you lack the faith to do something he's called you to do, what you're ultimately saying to Christ is, I don't believe you're really who you say you are. And you're going to have to do something to prove to me that you really are God. How many of us have kind of put the fleece out, so to speak, and we say, Lord, you know, if you're really our God, you need to prove this to me. You need to do something for me and, and prove it. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, and I'm not saying we shouldn't trust the Lord to do amazing things, but, but, but just follow with, track with me. Here. God is not obligated to prove anything to you. Did you know that? He's not obligated to prove anything to me. I do not have the right as a creature created by the Lord to say to him, you know, if you really are God, you better prove it to me. And then if you prove it to me, then I'll do what you say. That's not what God says. That's not how God works. Satan saying to Jesus, you, you've got to prove to me you really are who you say you are. I'm reminded of the story of the Children of Israel again walking through the desert. And this is a, The reason I come back to this two or three times is because there's this interesting parallel. Think about it like this. Jesus walked into the wilderness for 40 days, had a lack of food, trusted the Lord, and came out stronger. The children of Israel wandered into the desert, had a lack of food, failed to trust the Lord, and wandered for 40 years. There's, there are all these very interesting parallels between the time of Christ in the wilderness and his 40 days, and the time of the children of Israel in the wilderness in their 40 years. And so one of the examples, when they're wandering around with Moses, they say to Moses, we're hungry, and we're thirsty, we don't have enough food, enough water. Did you bring us, they literally say this, did you bring us into the desert just to die? And so we find in Exodus 17, don't, don't read, don't look back, just listen to these words. Exodus 17. So they quarreled with Moses. These are the people of Israel. And they said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Right, they're testing. Is this, is this God real, Moses? Is he really gonna take care of us? Is he really gonna provide for us but the people were thirsty for what are there they grumbled against Moses and they said why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst so Moses cried out to the Lord what am I to do with these people they're almost ready to stone me and the Lord answered Moses walk on ahead of the people take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff of which you struck the Nile and go I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and they called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord God saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now we read that account and we just can't believe that these people wouldn't trust the Lord fully with everything they had and yet we look at our own lives on a regular basis and we begin to realize, if, if we're very honest with ourselves, that there are times and times and times when we don't fully trust the Lord. I talked with somebody last week about something the Lord had done pretty incredible in their life and pretty amazing and the comment from this person was, why do we ever doubt the Lord? Because what we're, in essence, saying is he really isn't who he says he is. And so the devil's going to use that in your mind. He may be using that in your mind right now. He may, tr- he may be tricking you into, into believing the Lord can't work. He may be tricking you into disobedience. He may be tricking you to kind of lose your faith and your trust. But I I just want to encourage you in those moments, you've got to kind of transcend the uncertainty. You've got to transcend the fear. You've got to look with truth at the Word of God. You've got to look at how He's used you and how He's worked in your life. You've got to trust Him to work again and believe that He is who He says He is. Because we're all going to face struggles, we're all going to face trials. We're all going to face difficulties. And if we allow the physical things or the material things or the the fear and uncertainty of this world, all of which are very real, if we allow those things to drag us down, if we can't kind of come up out of that, if we can't transcend above that, we're going to continue to struggle, we're going to continue to have difficult times, and we're going to wonder why God's not at work. But through the example of Christ, we understand we can look beyond the physical and the material and the certainty. And we can, if you want to summarize this entire sermon, we can trust Christ. Because he is who he says he is. He's going to work through you. He's going to lead you and guide you and direct you. And when he does that, the world is going to take notice. And he's going to receive honor and glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the example in the life of Christ of the temptation father that he faced, of the struggles that he faced, of the trials that he faced, father, and we understand even in the very difficult moments he was without sin, he relied on you, he quoted scripture, father, and he trans he transcended the physical and the material and the fear, and the uncertainty, Father. And, and through that process, you were glorified. So, Lord, just help us to to learn from his example, to trust him, Lord, to trust him in the difficult times, in the physical pain that we may be suffering, Father, and the emotional turmoil we may be facing, Father, in the material things we're dealing with, and the fear and the uncertainty, Father. Help us just kind of cut through all that, and transcend above that, and, and Lord, just in, in just kind of a simple visual picture, Lord, when we kind of come up out of the fog and out of the clouds, may we look ahead, Father, and see your radiance and your beauty and your glory leading us and directing us. And may you receive honor and glory in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to open the altars. We always do. You can come and, and pray at the altar. You can. Talk to me about salvation or membership. This is your time to respond as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the contact us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.